Welcome to room 4216. I'm so glad you've come. Happy birthday to you. Happy uh, birthday to you. Happy birthday. Uh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. You're singing that because you were thinking about your birthday, and I had one right about the same time, and mm-hmm. we have another family member coming up real soon, and birthdays. And we like to celebrate birthdays here yeah. in Room 4216, don't we, Pastor Dave? Yeah, so, it's great. So, if anyone wants to tell us what, that it's their birthday, yeah. we'll certainly say happy birthday. So, rather than ask you about this year's birthday, I want to jump in your past. Do you remember anything about your birthdays when you were a little kid, say, mm, age 12? Age 12, let's see. You'd been in sixth grade. Mm, yeah, and... No, I can't say that I do. Mm. But mm. what about you? Do you remember anything about your 12th birthday? A little, but really the one I remember is my 11th birthday. Oh. Two months after I turned 11, I went blind. And so several of the gifts that I got that birthday, I couldn't use. One was a bicycle, in fact. Oh. And uh, I had to let it go. Couldn't use it. And the reason I mentioned 12-year-old birthday, we're going to be talking about a 12-year-old today. So let's move deeper into the room and let's uh, see what we got. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. Every year, his parents went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was twelve years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Uh, Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, Why have you treated your father and me like this? Your father and I have been searching for you anxiously. Why have you searched for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Twelfth birthday, mm-hmm. but I do remember something bad I did when I was twelve or thirteen. No, yeah, I uh, snuck a wine cooler up to my room when you were twelve or thirteen. Yeah, well, I had tasted them before, and they mm-hmm. tasted good, you know. Uh, and did you get caught? Uh, well, yes, <laughs> I did. And did you get in trouble? Uh, yeah. Uh, my uh, my sister told on me, ah, and boy did I get and you grounded. So twelve or thirteen, kind of rebellious. You know, in some ways, that almost relates to uh, back to the story you just read about Jesus. Some would say he was rather rebellious and staying back in Jerusalem. Yes, he certainly was. And, and I. I remember when I first read this, I thought, yeah, you know, he's not being very obedient and following his parents, but there is so much going on in the undercurrent of this story that we don't always realize it. And I'll be honest, it took me years and years, and I still don't know if I fully understand all of the undercurrents of what's going on. Undercurrents? Such as? Well... First is the obvious that we go from birth to 12 years old. Then the next story will be Jesus at baptism at 30 years old. There's nothing to stand out, really. No, but there's a lot more I'd like to know. Do you need to know? I guess not. Yeah. It's just he was a boy. He grew up just like any other Jewish boy. He was true man. This story stuck out, though, to Mary... And she remembered it and told Luke, remember Luke was uh, talking to all the eyewitnesses, and she related this one because, well, right before this, what did she do as it was recorded when uh, when he was just eight years old? Eight days old. Uh, eight days old, sorry, yeah. Went up to the temple? Yeah, made the sacrifices. And what was the sacrifices for and the reason? Uh, it was because he was the firstborn. Yeah, and what about the firstborn? They, uh, The firstborn male belonged to God. Belonged to God. And if you wanted to take that one home, you had to redeem it with a sacrifice. Well, Jesus is the firstborn of God. 
he was back at his father's house. Even though he was redeemed by that sacrifice, he still was, you might say, God's, because he was the son of God. Also, there is some undercurrent here of Moses. Moses? Yep, Moses. Um, when Moses was an infant, he was not supposed to be living because they were killing in Egypt all the male boys, but he was hidden. And uh, where, do you remember where he was hidden? Of course, he was hidden in a, in a basket. Yeah, because society wanted to get rid of him. Well, where was Jesus? In a, in a manger. He in a manger. manger. Because there was no There's room. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. Society didn't want him. And so, in many ways, they both felt rejected by the world. Well, I don't know about felt, but they certainly were. But also then, Moses, and this is a very little known story, when he grew up, he was actually adopted, <laughs> this part is known, uh, he was found in the rushes by uh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and so was adopted by Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he was a prince of Egypt. And uh, as a prince, he then learned, though, that he was a Hebrew. And it says in uh, chapter 2 of Exodus, verse 11 and following, it tells this story of how he was walking among his people and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And he killed the Egyptian and then buried him in the sand. And this murder was found out. He was trying to be a great ruler and he screwed up and he had to run and hide for years and years in the desert. And that's when God called him. This is jumping now into chapter 3 of Exodus. God called him at the burning bush at age 80. Well, that's a, a bit of a parallel to Jesus. Here he is, sitting in the temple, asking questions. And that's how rabbis would instruct, by asking probing questions. And so he was a bit of a rabbi, you would say, and, and helping uh, the discussions... And yet it didn't all go that well. And so he then just went away into obscurity for some time until he came back to do ministry. And then there is the third undercurrent. Mary heard from the angels at Jesus' birth that he was going to what? Redeem his people. Yeah. And he was from the descendant of... David. And so they probably believed he was going to be a mighty king. Where do kings dwell? In palaces. And where did Mary find him? In the temple. They were thinking of kingship and not that of priest offering himself as a sacrifice to take away our sins, to redeem us, not from God, <laughs> but from sin, death, and the devil. And so Jesus was in his father's house doing his work, carrying out what he was fulfilled to do. What child is this who lays to rest on Mary's lap Just greet with us. 
Now we move on to Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. One might wonder why all these names are listed. Well, we need to remember that Luke was a person that was very concerned about details. He was a physician, a doctor. He was trained. He was into uh, academics, you would say. And so what this actually does is identifies a specific time and location of where John the Baptizer was ministering. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. Why this quote from Isaiah? Isaiah was written to a people that were going through hardship and difficulty. In a little while they would be even taken off into exile, the land taken away from them. For them, it really felt like a desert. It felt like the mountains were so high they couldn't climb, the valleys were so deep they couldn't come out of, the roads were so crooked, crooked they couldn't even walk. And so this proclamation is speaking about the one who would bring God's salvation, not just to Isaiah's people to bring them back into a country, which did happen, although it was a very small country when they returned, but as you're speak, speaking about the Messiah, the Savior, he would level the mountains of sin. He would bring up the valleys of death. He would make the crooked paths straight all the way into heaven. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do? the crowds asked. Because John spoke of them as uh, Abraham's children, we know these were the religious people that he was speaking to first. Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, teachers of the law, people who tried to be faithful and do all the religious things. But here the key words were, and this is why he said, you brood of vipers, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He was looking for them not just to have a good life, but one that shows the heart was in keeping, connected to, and looking to God. John answered, The man with two tunics should share one with the one who has none. The man who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers came and asked him, What should we do? He replied, Don't exhort money, and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. John then gets very specific on what the fruit should be that is in keeping with repentance. For the religious people, it wasn't to sacrifice turtle doves and go to the temple or pray at certain hours. It was kindly, friendly things. Give tunic, give food to people in need. For those who were rather sinful tax collectors said, stop robbing to soldiers. Stop abusing your power. Hmm. Simply showing kindness and compassion to others reflects the heart that's in keeping with God. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. 
And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. The text is pretty clear that the people were astounded. They were impressed. They thought of John highly. They thought he was the Messiah. But John took that and turned it around. The one who's coming after me, I'm not worthy to even undo his sandal. Pointing out, you think great of me. Well, you better think even greater of the one who comes. And here's why. And he mentions about the winnowing fork. Used to be, back in those days, they'd pile up the grain, and they'd take this fork, and it would... scoop up the grain and throw it up in the air. The wind would blow away the the chaff or the outer hull. The heavier wheat kernel would fall down. As you continue to use this winnowing fork, you separate then the, the hulls or the chaff from the wheat. And that way you have a perfect wheat. And so the one who comes after me, he is going to divide the good from the bad. The good from the bad. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire. John even mentioned he's doing water. But the one who comes after is going to do even more. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So Jesus was baptized, just as we. Why? Because he needed to identify with humans in every way, to show that he was human, even though he wasn't full of the muck and the slime that needed to be washed off in the water. Even still, he dove in the water. But yet he's also God. The Father spoke, the Spirit descended, and he was there. True God, true man, truly our Savior. And so, Cecilia, let's go ahead and and read on in chapter 3 after the baptism of Jesus. What do we have? Verse 23? Uh, Verse 23. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of... Oh, no. You tricked me again. 
There's the a whole list of names, people. All the way down to about verse 38. Read the last uh, verse. How about Okay. There's a lot of names, and it shows the history and how it's connected through uh, David, uh, through Abraham, and now pick up. Through Noah, mm-hmm. and uh, um, let's see, Noah was the, or uh, yeah, Noah was the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel. The son of uh, Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Hmm, the son of God. So it's trying, and it does, connect Jesus as he starts his ministry to Adam, and Adam is called the son of God. But do note, and we will get this later uh, also, and we especially hear it from John, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave... His one and only son. One and only son. Adam is a creature. That's what it means, son of God, created by God. But Jesus is not a creature, though he joins creation. He is the begotten one, the one from everlasting. But it connects him into a circle. And so we find that Jesus is now part of humanity and his ministry. But we'll have to pick up with that, I think, next time. Maybe we should pick up with baptism a little next time, too. But it feels like we've hardly gotten started here. I know. But if we pick up especially the topic of baptism, and there's a lot more to be said about baptism, all the different sides of it, when you're talking the denominations and how it's viewed, we don't have time today. But if you have questions about baptism that uh, we can answer and let us know ahead of time. Indeed. You can write us at? Info. I-N-F-O. At not-alone.net. And remember, remember, we are are not alone. Do come back again to room 4216. Credits. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. David Archuleta. Winter in the Air, 2018. What Child Is This? Faith Hill. Joy to the World, 2008. El Shaddai. Laurel Jean. 88 Keys to the Kingdom. Interlude Musicians. Terry Nord and Robert Vaughn.